Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Midwestern Seminary and author in residence. We have a great episode for you today. Did you know that you were created to help bring truth and beauty into this broken world? God made you with an imagination and a yearning for justice. No matter your calling or vocation, you can help shape a better world around you through your creativity. But that doesn't mean it will be easy. We're surrounded by toxic stories and bad cultural thinking. We're held back even by incomplete theology, but does it have to be like that? Is frustration the end of the story? In the face of confusion and injustice, we can lose sight of our true narrative, the one that started in a garden and wants to make our real lives better today. In He Saw That It Was Good, activist and recording artist, Show Baraka wrestles deeply and honestly with these questions and gives you permission to do the same and shows a hard-earned path to creative change. With Show, you'll engage with art, justice, and history. Learn from the powerful principles of historic movements. Explore why it's important to cultivate your creative calling, no matter what you do. And discover a fresh look at how the gospel can transform how you see God, your neighbor, your work, and your world. You'll return to your biggest and truest story, and your life and your world need never be the same. Show Baraka is a globally recognized recording artist, performer, cultural, cultural curator, activist, and writer. His work combines his artistic platform with his academic history to contribute a unique perspective, elevating the contemporary conversation on faith, art, and culture. He's an alumnus of Tus- uh, Tuskegee University and the University of North Texas. Show is a co-founder of Fourth District and the AND campaign, and he has served as an adjunct professor at Wake Forest School of Divinity. And he's here today to talk about his new book, He Saw That It Was Good, Reimagining Your Creative Life to Repair a Broken World. Show Baraka, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank you for having me, Jared. I, I appreciate it. I, I've got to figure out how to condense that bio. <laughs> you know, I always just pull these things from uh, from like the Amazon page or the press right, kit that right. gets sent to me. And <laughs> they're usually pretty wordy, but it's it's good. It gives us some uh, some padding on the, <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> they're all lies. They're all I want to know what it's like to be a culture cre- curator. I, I kept wanting to say culture creator, which I guess you are as well. I'm a culture creator. Yeah, both of those yeah. things. <laughs> but what's a curator? What's a culture curator? It just is just a fancy word for somebody who likes to talk about culture and, and say what's bad and good okay. about culture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And All right. Like, you oh, know, that music, I, that style of music's terrible. So. I, I post a lot of uh like silly memes and dad jokes on my Instagram account. Does that mean I'm a curator as well? I'm a yeah, culture you're curator. Yes. You are awesome. <laughs> Look, you can be anything nowadays. If you want to be an influencer, you be an influencer. If yeah. A public thinker or a theologian, be, be a public thinker or theologian. It really yeah. nobody sets your job your job description. <laughs> you do. That's a world I don't get. The 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 yeah. influencer world. I don't yeah. think it's it's crazy. It's I hate every title that. Well, other than author, which is legitimate, I am an author now. Yeah, I don't yeah. like I don't like being called an activist. I don't like really called being. A cultural curator. I'm not, you know. <laughs> well, who just, wrote uh, this, man? <laughs> who decided you're all these things in your body? Yeah, my people. My people okay. wrote it. And I try to avoid, uh, so like even on my 
uh, my bio. I don't think I have activists anymore. I think I took that out. Uh, my bio, okay. my, like my Instagram and my Twitter. But there's reasons behind it because I do feel like there's a bit of pretentiousness behind some of these titles. Um, and also how culture is shifting what these titles mean in some sort of way. Yeah, and yeah. I just tried to make sure it was like, oh, I'm not a professional activist. I'm not somebody who... For the for a living goes around trying to figure out like how to find the 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 injustice in the world like that's not my job yeah 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 um, but I I do find it beautiful that there are activists in the world but I, I don't think it's good to to labor yourself an activist because you're always going you, you end up almost in some ways creating problems to solve if that makes sense mm. uh, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 that's a whole other conversation. So anyway, so like cultural <laughs> curator, public thought leader, theologian, all that stuff. I'm like, I mean, I get it. I'm not trying to disparage people who, but I just personally, I don't like those titles for me. So when I hear it. All right. So there we go. Three you're, minutes you're, about my bio. <laughs> you, you heard it here first, folks. He's disavowed <laughs> half of his bio uh, right here on the podcast. Hey, uh, before I jump into some questions here, I just have to tell you, uh, you your album, The Narrative, few years ago i thought in many ways i wanted to put it on my best books list for that no. year because <laughs> because it was it's so literary and so substantive without you know obviously sacrificing artistry and and and, and you know the uh, it was so original the creativity and things as well but you know what you were saying in it and the and the diversity of songs um mm. from parenting to uh, you know, the, you know, cultural commentary and, and, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed it and, um, was really chagrined that it was, it had this little bit of controversy related to it, you know, when it, when it came out and all, I just thought that was kind of weird, but, um, just thought <laughs> I'd tell you that I'll, I'll, you know, geek out there for those 15 <laughs> seconds, cultural, cur uh, a curator or not. Um, I thought it was a, a wonderful piece of art that I really enjoyed. Um, I want to ask you about that, actually, because your book is is sort of in the vein of this, um, I think, re-emerging. I don't think it's new, but it, it's 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 kind of been fallow ground for a long time. But there's been a renaissance lately, probably in the last maybe two, three, maybe four years of books um, from the Christian perspective, whether they're, you know, um, explicitly for, you know, just for Christians or not, but on creativity and on creating, on culture making, uh, you know, books on writing, books on on uh, right. you know just you know, you know creativity in general. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on on why that might be. I mean, I know your book is different, yeah. but before we dig into right, right, the specificity right. no, of your good. book, yeah, yeah, why has there been in the last few years a renaissance of this kind of stuff? Yeah, I think this. I think this is a great question. I I do find that there are always those people who are, um, uh, yeah, leaders and forerunners, and you know, especially in the Christian space, everybody can thank Mako as one of those individuals who, um, been instrumental with his book. He has a book, Creation Care. That's you know, that's good. And he was one of the people that I first heard that began like in 2012 to help shape the way that I thought about how do I engage a world from a Christian posture without it being um, that it can be toxic at times. Not all evangelical thinkers, like, there's a particular restriction 
certain evangelical um, thinking has. And so, and that's not just white evangelical, that's black church as well. Like, so how do you escape that and just be an artist? And so I think what's happened in the last four years is when we talk about justice because of the political polarization of our country, the racial tension in our country, I think people are reevaluating all of who they are in regards to the church and theology and doctrine. And I think artists are beginning to really separate themselves because they're like, man, I don't want any restriction from me being able to communicate to the world. And so I think all of the tension that's happening outside of the art world is informing or even pushing, catalyzing artists to say, this is what I think, this is how I feel we should operate philosophies, ideologies, and practices that I think are helping Christian artists. And I think it's wonderful because one of the greatest obstacles that I had to overcome was this pressure to be a pastor. Not necessarily vocationally, but in how I thought. Mm, Because what I found, and I think this may be helpful for your audience as you speak to a lot of leaders and pastors, is that what I found is that there are a lot of pastors, not all, but there are a lot of pastors who when they are thinking of equipping and training people for the work of the ministry, they're reproducing themselves and they're not equipping folks to be um, marketplace missionaries, if you will. Yeah. And so for me, I felt this grand pressure to be a campus minister, to be a pastor, uh, how to exposit the text in this excellent way, how to study my Bible, but no one ever taught me what is what did it mean to pick up a paintbrush in excellence or to write a song in excellence. And now I think what's happening is you have this great leadership that's burgeoning out of the church who are artists and they're able to disciple other artists. And I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, isn't it um, really kind of tie into whatever our theology of vocation is and 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 there's something that we do and i think artistry is special i do think it is a unique category but in terms of the broader sense of vocation when we push certain artists um to do things with their art that that in 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 many ways kind of borders on propaganda perhaps or Mm -hmm. you know it, it has to look a certain way for you to actually be a real christian doing this work it's got to look a certain way but we don't say the same thing to plumbers or you know, other kinds of, you know, craftsmen. And, you know, as a writer, um, you know, I'm, I imagine it's somewhat similar, especially if you're trying to write from the marketplace. The idea that if you're writing Christian fiction, for instance, um, it has to look a certain way to actually be, you know, worthy or, or you know, quality, um, you know, in the church's eyes. I, I just think that's an ongoing conversation, but I'm grateful that, that now there's a a new generation uh, of thinkers like yourself and and others kind of helping us through. I know Andrew Peterson had a book in the last year kind of on creativity yeah. and that sort of thing. And um, I think it's good. We have kind of the new guard, you know, helping us sort through these things. And in a way, you, you know, you're not a pastor, but in a way you're kind of pastoring, um, you know, our thinking on, on these mm-hmm. things as well, which I think is really, really important. Um, you didn't grow up in the church. Um, and I'm wondering how coming to faith, uh, kind of changed your outlook on creativity and and the purpose of creativity because I imagine you've always been a creative of some kind. Maybe you've been a musician mm-hmm. since you know you can remember. Um, how did the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit? How did following Jesus kind of give shape or 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 
more meaning, deeper meaning to that, uh, yeah, to that purpose. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit comes with all kinds of caveats in, in our culture. <laughs> um, we <laughs> okay. like to think that the Holy Spirit is this, uh, you know, autonomous, uh, spiritual being that just takes over us. But the, 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 the reality of it is, is that we dress up our gods to look like us. And so when I came to faith, I had all these restrictions like, well, this is not good. That's not good. And so honestly, I was a creative before I became a Christian. I became a Christian and I stopped being creative in certain ways. Like, because I just felt like God didn't want hip hop artists. He's like, he, he doesn't need those. You know what I'm saying? But what we do need more of are these missionaries, right? So get on this plane and fly to this country and serve. And it wasn't until um, I started to meet people who had been in the faith longer than I had. And I saw their life as one that was not only strong fidelity to the scriptures and to, and to Jesus, but also um, an appreciation for those things that are good in culture without appropriating them, as you say, as propaganda. And so for me, it took a while for me to get to the place where I was comfortable being a creative again. And so it, it, it was, it was maybe about two or three years before I, uh, before I got to a place where I was like, you know what, I can start writing raps again and poetry again. Um, and then later I got into film and started studying film. But if there were any, if I, if I was engaged in art, it was, it was, it was typical Christian art. And I say typical in the, in a, like, as in a pejorative sense, like not, and it's like, yeah. it was, I wrote this simply because I want somebody to get saved and it's going to be, it's going to be so trite and it's, and probably awful at that. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until many years later that I feel the spirit undress kind of like Saul's armor and say, you know what, all we need is a slingshot. And mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I felt like I was more liberated to um, to continue this analogy to slink a life. What would you say, Joe, to to those who um, a little later ask you know ask you about leadership, but to those who are creatives who are listening, and um, you know they're thinking uh, of their art in terms of its marketability, perhaps. Mm. And they're not finding much purchase there. Um, this is something, you know, because I've worked with a lot of writers and they're always wanting to know about getting published. And in some ways I, I feel bad because it, like it's harder than it's ever been. There's more people yeah. who are contributing. Um, and then you have kind of the blessing and the curse of, you know, the internet. So, so, so you know, media has been in some ways democratized because anybody with an internet connection can, you know, yeah. build a social media platform or YouTube or something like that. And so there's people who are just, they're just making art or, you know, they're writing, they're singing, they're, you know, painting, whatever they're doing. But then also there are people who, um, you know, in your book, you talk about the sense of creativity or creating for those who aren't necessarily explicitly artists, but, you know, they're, uh, um, you know, they work in some other vocation. And, and so you're speaking to them in terms of um, creativity and, and, and creating and making culture. What would you say to those who, who might never have a big platform, whether they're explicitly an artist or not? They may never get published, recorded, gain a big following. What's the encouragement to them that your book brings in terms of why their creativity matters, I guess? Yes. 
I think what I was trying, what I what I try to spell out through my book is that it doesn't matter how big the platform, how small the platform, or what you do is that you are contributing to the machine of humanity. And so <clears throat> parents produce children, teachers produce students who learn and understand the world as they help them shape it, uh, are, are better at how they teach it. Engineers produce things so that we could um, operate better. And artists tell society, tell stories about the world and politicians create policies. You, from top to bottom, you have to see how those things can affect people. Uh, if my parents tell me bad stories about my neighbors, then I'm growing up looking at my neighbors a particular way and that affects how I operate and how I create in the future. If engineers make faulty infrastructure, then that affects you and I and how we get from A to B. If politicians create policies that are demoralizing and you know, et cetera, et cetera, then we operate in a world that is corrupt and so on and so forth. And so in some way or fashion, we all create and we all contribute to the making of something. And so for those folks who have small platforms, large platforms, artists, non-artists, I think the first thing you got to understand is that you make and God calls us to make. And we have a responsibility to answer questions on whether or not that making is good as God does in Genesis 1. He he just doesn't make and then walks away from it and be like, eh, it's, yeah, I, I did it because it's Monday. <laughs> he creates and he looks at it and he says, it is good. And so one of the, the points I try to drive home is you don't have to love your job. You don't have to like, I don't, I'm not trying to create this false sense of excitement about a, a job that people love. But understanding you're there for a purpose, understand you have that platform for a purpose, understand that you're creating for a purpose and see that as worship and see that as a contribution to, to, to in some way, build towards a better day, a better society, a better world, a better life for not only yourself, but other people. And then hopefully when you do that, you can say, you know what, I want to make sure that this is good when, I, when I'm done at the end of the day. And so that's the bottom line. It's like, I, look, size the platform, because we can always lust for greater platforms. And, but <laughs> to be very... Very simple is like to, you know, what are you going to do with the little alabaster you have? Mm. You put a strong emphasis in your book on the power of stories. Why do you believe it's important to understand our stories and, and where we come from? Yeah, I just feel, I'm, and sometimes I feel like I may go overboard with my, <laughs> on how I, <laughs> how I feel stories shape people, but I just, I just do. Like I think about almost every significant idea that I've had since a child. I got that because somebody told a story or said something that was impactful and it stuck with me. Mm. I use a story about my mother telling me that I look good in red and how that has some implications that could have been deadly and where I came from. I think uh, yeah. about the way that I, I talk to my, my, my kids and how I, try to affirm them in certain ways because I know when they're 20 and you know 25 that it'll it'll impact how they work and what they do. Stories is not just stories are not solely what you communicate is how you live out your life in front of people as well. And so I tried to lead the, the book off with a a kind of like poem of about uh, a, an artisan who paints a picture of the king and he 
ends up making him God. The reality is, is we're all painting God with our work and our stories. We're painting what we believe. Mm. And those things shape not only who we are and what we believe, but it shapes people around us. And so if you're telling stories, if you're communicating truths, great idea, great example. Muhammad Ali has this video that's viral and you know, and people shared about it. He's doing an interview with um I forgot the gentleman's name, but it's a it was a British, a UK uh it was the BBC. Uh, British uh, uh, reporter and he's talking about why he became a Muslim and the reason why he became a Muslim was because he grew up in Kentucky and he said all the images of Jesus were white all the paintings of the Last Supper were white all the angels were white and uh, even like <laughs> angel food was white <laughs> he said Tarzan lives in Africa <laughs> Tarzan lives in Africa Tarzan can Swing from tree to tree, talk to all the animals, defeat everybody. He's white in Africa. Can't no Africans do that. <laughs> and he goes on his list of things that the ugly duckling was black. Um, <laughs> and then he ends off by saying, I, I went off and fought in the Olympics for America, came back to Kentucky and tried to get, tried to eat food. And I couldn't eat. In this Christian nation, in this Christian city, they wouldn't serve me. And he said, you know what? That's why I became a, a Muslim. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, those are some terrible stories. Those are incomplete stories about the faith that you and I inhabit, right? And if people would have told better stories, maybe we wouldn't have a Muhammad Ali in that capacity who believes yeah. those particular things. I want to respect his decisions, obviously, to follow the faith that he, he followed. But what I'm saying is our story should never get in the way of a truthfulness about who God really is. Yeah. Let's talk about that just for a second. The, you know, the difference in 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 belief. How does creativity relate to the gospel itself, or how does the gospel, the you know, the gospel story, as we talk about, you know, stories that define us and shape us, how does the the good news relate to creativity or influence creativity, human creativity? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna regurgitate what I've heard Tim Keller say. And um, okay, All right, that's fine. To reinvent the wheel. Um, I've heard Tim Keller say years ago, and it just stuck with me, uh, maybe seven years ago, I was listening to a message he was giving to, I think, writers. And, and he basically said, you know, when, you, when, you tell, when you're writing stories, the solution should always be Jesus, and the problem should always be sin. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean you always have to communicate the solution, or you shouldn't always communicate like the ultimate problem, but anytime you change what the solution is or you change what the problem is, is that's where you get into to, to issues of offending what the gospel is. And so for me, if I'm writing a song about love and, and marriage and relationship, I don't have to talk about Jesus, but ultimately, if the ultimate problem for humanity is sin and the ultimate solution for, for humanity is Jesus, then if I'm giving grand answers in those extreme um, uh, points, then, then I want to make sure that the gospel is very clear. And he uses examples like, well, if poverty is a problem, um, the solution could, to some people could be uh, capitalism, but at the end of the day, that's not the, that's not the answer for salvation. That's, the, not, that's not the answer for humanity, if you will. And you can, you can, you can waver between the the functions of methods and whatnot. But ultimately, I try my best not to, to give grand answers about humanity that offend the gospel 
And I don't know if I did a better job of, or made it more murky, <laughs> but I really feel like there's extreme liberty and freedom in art. And the only two, the only two rules I have is I took from Tim Keller. Don't make the ultimate answer to the, to the, to the, to the wickedness and, uh, and solution of, of humanity, the, the solution of humanity's wickedness, anything other than Jesus. And don't make humanity's problem anything other than sin. So yeah. hopefully that. No, that's good. Yeah. I think that's wise. Uh, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes if there's a, a good parallel that we can kind of see in the difference between general revelation and special revelation as well, right? So any kind of art that we're creating can be a reflection of, of, of God's disclosure of himself in general revelation, right? His creation. You know, you don't, you, you don't look up in the sky and see the clouds spelling out John three sixteen. <laughs> what you see is you see his beauty, and it's still declaring his his loveliness. It's still Absolutely. declaring his glory. Absolutely. So why can't our art, uh, you know, in an, in a, in a way, do the same thing, which is to say, reflect his goodness, even though it doesn't, uh, you know, always spell out explicitly, um, you know, the gospel story, the gospel message. Okay. Um. See, just well, as a kind of a fun. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. A, let me just real real quick point. Uh, yeah. T. Boone Burnett, writer, uh, <laughs> had a quote, and I got this quote from Steve. Uh, I forgot the name, the last name, but Steve, uh, his Imagine Christian in in the Arts. Uh, the book is called Imagine: A View of Christians in the Arts. But basically, T. Boone Burnett says, um, you can either write songs about the sun, or you can write songs about what the sun helps you see, and that has been my model for life. And if mm-hmm. Jesus is the son, you can write songs about Jesus or you can write songs about what Jesus helps you see. And I think that to me is beautiful. As long as you don't mm-hmm. change what the son is, then right. I'm good. You know what I mean? I am, I am good. <laughs> I think that is a model to live by. Yeah, that's good. Um, any, any word for ministry leaders? We have a lot of pastors and ministry leaders who listen to the podcast um, who may have artists in their, well, not who may, who undoubtedly have artists in their midst or creatives in their midst. Um, words of counsel for them. How should they think about pastoring? Um, yeah, re- you know, singers, writers, painters, uh, other kinds of artists. What are, What's some words of yeah. advice that you would give to them? I have some extreme thoughts. I have some not so extreme. I have some more. <laughs> some, uh, let, uh, me let me know. Start with, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me start. Let me get more extreme as uh, as I go. Um, okay. So they don't find me to be too too irrational before they hit the stop button on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think one is one is how, how can you create space for creatives in the actual church or Sunday service or programs? Like just creating space. Like if and I know some churches who, you know, pastors and leaders who may be listening to this have a particular liturgy to their Sunday services. So you may not have a, you know, it may not be within the tradition to have a spoken word artist or a painting, like, you know what I mean, happen on a Sunday service, or you may not have opportunities throughout a Monday through Saturday to create space for the artists to do that. So I get that. But in some ways, think creatively on how you can, um, actually engage your artists in your Sunday liturgy and on. 
Um, the other thing I would say is pastors and leaders have to realize that the church, they're shepherds of the churches. They're not dictators of church. And what I mean by that is oftentimes I, I find that pastors have a particular vision and agenda that excludes people who may be able to contribute great insight to a particular fellowship. And also many pastors aren't typically creative. And so when they're thinking about outreach, when they're thinking about equipping, they're not thinking creatively. So for instance, you know, many churches have children's ministries and, uh, or they're trying to reach youth or like, I don't know, start a band or something like, you know, have a church band. Like you have youth who want to learn how to, not just the Sunday worship, a band or youth ministry. Have some creatives come together, write. I really feel like there should be way more youth group curriculum out there that can reach our these young kids. You know, like mm-hmm. VeggieTale-ish type stuff. I don't know, you know, PBS Kids type stuff. But coming from a Christian framework, like there are talented people within churches who can do this stuff, um, even if it's on a small scale. I don't know, like just a little puppet show. For the, you know, I don't know. But the grand proposition is that I would love for churches to actually fund artists to do work outside of the church. Yeah. I would love for people who have resources. I'm assuming that this is the assumption that a lot of these churches have the resources. But we put so much money. If we really believe in missions, why don't we see creatives as missionaries in a way to send them out into the marketplace? Um, very similar to the old church, uh, the early church, better yet, and you know, Catholic, the Catholic church. And I think the Protestant church has kind of, to some degree, lost that. And uh, the way we can engage the world through being able to fund these artists and these creatives so that they don't have to uh, forfeit some of their moral and ethics and and uh, creativity to by signing with organizations and institutions that may ask them to do certain things that they don't feel comfortable with doing. But then yet and still in that, I think as you patronize artists and creators, the church also has to give them the freedom to be, I don't want to say, because this may come off as licentiousness, like allow them to go out there and be wild and still represent the church. but allow them to be artists and know that artists doesn't mean that they are pastors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. If they go out there and they're at a bar and they perform, allow them to be at a bar and perform. And if there's some songs that have strong language, as long as it's not profane for the sense, for the sake of, of tearing people down and demoralizing people, sometimes you need strong language to communicate truths. Um, I think about like, Flannery O'Connor and some of her work, I'm like, man, like this is brilliant work. She loved God with all her heart, mind, body, and soul. And I'm thinking like there'll be churches today that would be afraid to read some of her work in, in their church, but it would be so beneficial for the church to hear this type of stuff. Where's the Flannery O'Connors? Like how can we support and fund these people so that they can do great work? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think a recovery of, of patronage is a good, um, a good aim there. As a Baptist, I can't condone the profanity and drinking, but <laughs> I know, I know you. Can. <laughs> and, and actually, there, there's, there's my, my church, disclaimer. My church can't either. <laughs> but um, but you know, I hear what you're saying, what which is, uh, I I think, you know, helping artists to flourish in 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 their vocation, just as we would any other vocation. 
we don't have these same hangups sometimes uh, about what they have to be saying and not saying. And, and I know this has been um, sort of an intramural squabble within some, you know, Christian hip hop for a while as well. You know, who, what, what you know, classifies uh, the song as, as Christian and are you really a Christian artist if you're not, you know, um, you know, doing songs explicitly about this, that, or the other thing. And that's been going on in the music world, the so-called Christian music world. What does it mean to be a Christian artist? You know, should we even call ourselves Christian artists or artists who are Christian, you know, all that sort of thing. And it happens in, in the writing world as well. And I think, you know, yeah, just what you said about pastors and churches being able to, um, you know, part of discipleship is shepherding people to uh, step into the vocation that God has prepared for them, not necessarily what we would, you know, uh, um, you know, define for them uh, many times. And um, in a way, helping people be the best version uh, of themselves and, and not clones of, of us, yeah. which I think is a, 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 a pretty wise way to get it. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been, uh, I will say it's been provocative and it's been enlightening as well and helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, I am glad to be the provocateur, my friend. Yeah, well, we'll get some, uh, sure we'll get some that, emails. Uh, about some this. of you guys want to say, yeah, well, to me, we can have a, a healthy dialogue. We'll have a healthy dialogue. No, I do thank you for thank coming you, on. Man. His book is called he saw that it was good reimagining your creative life to repair a broken world. It's out from Waterbrook Multnomah and available wherever good books are sold. As always, your listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.